Welcome to the city. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, if you uh, don't know me. And uh, we, we've started the book of Acts. We started it last week. Kind of a big deal. We spent a couple of years going through the book of Luke. We finished this last fall, and now we're diving into our next book. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back on the app and uh, watch it, or on YouTube, or wherever you follow us. Uh, get caught up. We don't want you left in the dust, right? We're, we're, we're blazing through the book of Acts already. In fact, after today, we'll be through the first chapter already, so we're moving quick. It's kind of exciting, but just to kind of review where we've been, if you've missed it, is uh, the book of Luke, obviously, was written by Luke. He was um, actually a physician that this guy named Theophilus hired to investigate the thing that everyone was talking about in, the, in that time, and that's the, these rumors of Jesus. And uh, after talking to eyewitnesses, doing this full investigation, he wrote Luke, the letter to Theophilus, that, that kind of chronicles Jesus' birth, ministry, his teachings, his miracles, ultimately his death and his resurrection from, from the dead. And so now what, right? What's, what's next? Next is the book of Acts. Acts is Luke's sequel. It's part two. And it's the documentation of what happened after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So, so it's kind of the story of the very first church, the, the very first spirit-filled followers of Jesus. And between these two books, Luke and Acts, uh, Luke is now the author of more than a quarter of the New Testament. Now, now here, here's something I don't want you to miss about, about Luke, okay? Like I said, he's a doctor, right? He's a, he's a physician. He's not a pastor or an evangelist or, or some kind of, you know, a religious leader in those times. In fact, he started out as a skeptic. So, so really, he's more like an investigative journalist who, who studied and examined and, and looked at what everyone had to say and recorded all of these interviews with people, kind of figure out what the story was. And eventually, he, he, was, he was convinced. He was most likely, scholars think, converted by Paul's ministry. And he, he traveled with Paul. He, he mentions being with Paul. Paul mentions being with Luke. He, he most likely attended to him after, after Paul was, was beaten on five different occasions. Uh, but, but in Luke 1, he, he says this, right? He, he's writing so that we, so that Theophilus and we, that we might be convinced. That means he was convinced. He was convinced, he wanted us to be convinced, to be certain that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And Luke was, was no dummy. He was very educated. He, he had an incredible mastery of the Greek language. In fact, historians agree that his writings show just extreme skill in its composition, and his credibility has been vindicated over and over and over again. One uh, non-Christian rabbi said that Luke was the finest historian in the ancient world. So remember, as we jump into this today, this, this is not just a story. This is not just a Bible story on a felt board. It's not just something that someone said once. Like, this is history that, that we are, are studying, right? We, we can trust the things that we read and study today. And so over the next few months, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. Why? We say this over and over, and we're gonna keep saying it because we believe 
that studying scripture in this way produces healthier, more effective, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus. Your life will be better. Your your, your family will be healthier. You will be wiser. Your marriages will be richer. Your kids, listen, those of you with kids, your kids will grow up knowing why they believe what they believe. What's more important than that? So, so, so I hope we can all agree today that there's nowhere else we'd read. There's nothing more important that we could be doing in this moment than what we're doing right now, opening God's word, seeing what's there and applying it to our lives. That's what it's all about. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter one and we'll start in verse 12. Uh, I've, asked, I've asked, uh, oh, also they'll be on the screen, message notes on our app. Message notes is a good way to kind of keep uh, plugged into what we're talking about, all the verses, the points, everything, fill in the blanks are there. So do that if you want to kind of stay plugged in today. I've asked my friend Shay to come and read our scripture today. So would you guys just stand in the honor of the reading of God's word? Hey, good morning. I am Shay McCorder. I am married to Ben. And we have two little girls, Nora and Afton. We are in the Gwynn City Group. And together we serve with First Impressions and the Marriage Ministry. Um, and I get to serve with our kids a couple of times a month too. So today we're in Acts 1:12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. Thank you, Shay. You guys can have a seat. So jumping back in from last week, you remember that the, the, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples was go back to Jerusalem and just wait, right? Wait for the, the promised gift. So this, this is the disciples and all of, all of those followers, 120 of them, being obedient to what Jesus had them, had them to do, right? But they're not just sitting around in these few weeks that they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. They don't know when he's coming. They've just been told to wait, but they're, they're not just waiting idly by, right? They're not twiddling their thumbs. They're, they're busy doing a couple of things. So let's kind of unpack some stuff here. Verse 12 says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. Now, most trans, translations say here, a Sabbath's day walk. Like that's, that's how far it was, okay? So, so that, that's 2,000 cubits. So that should clear that up for you, right? 2,000 cubits. Here, here's a point of reference for you. Patrick Mahomes has 56,848 career passing cubits. So you can, you can post that on Facebook. Um, mo- most scholars think it's between half a mile and three quarters of a mile. So he, here's how the, this cubits thing works, okay? So a Sabbath day walk. So, so on the Sabbath, you, you can't work, but you can walk. But you can't walk so far as though so, so it turns into work, right? So they, they, this is not part of the, the law, but more Jewish tradition. Like they've come up with this, this distance that you can walk without it being considered work. And most think that goes back to, to ancient Israel where you had the, the tabernacle, right, set up in the, the middle of this, this encampment. 
And uh, that 2,000 cubits was, was just enough so that the person in the furthest tent could get to, uh, to the temple to worship and back without working, okay? So that's kind of what, what it's thought to mean. Uh, but it's not talking about the day they were walking, okay? So, so we know from the timeline from the resurrection to now, this is most likely like a, a Thursday. It's not the Sabbath. So, so it's not talking about the day of the week. It's talking about kind of the timing of, of this event. So, so they, they, they were kind of close. They, they walked these 2,000 cubits or so back to this, this upper room. So in verse 13, they, they arrived. They went upstairs to the room of the house they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. Okay, so... The disciples go to this, this upper room where they were, they were staying. Now, there's, there's no way to know for sure, but, but it's possible. In fact, some theologians believe this to be true, that this is the same upper room where Jesus would have had that last supper, where he shared the, the bread and the wine with his disciples on the night before he was executed. Um, this, this was probably the same, right? It could even be the same room where you know, after his resurrection, that the disciples were hiding up there and Jesus appeared to them. It could be the same room. Um, it says where they were staying, probably not all 120 were staying there. Uh, it, most likely it wasn't big enough for that many people to sleep there overnight. Plus you had kind of mixed company, right? You had some men and some women. So, so probably not everyone slept there, but they were all meeting there consistently, right? Staying there, there together, meeting on a consistent basis. It was a pretty big room probably attached to a really wealthy person's property or house. So verse 14, they all met together, were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers, brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were there in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. All right, so, so you, have, you have the 11 apostles. Why not 12? Well, you remember what happened to Judas, right? <laughs> Judas is no more. So, so there, there's a vacancy here. Uh, they're, they're a man down. And they have in their company women who had been in that inner circle, part of Jesus's like closest followers. So, so obviously Mary is mentioned. You know, you know, Mary would have been revered by this group because she was the mother of the Messiah. But there were also so several other women that were there. And uh, you had Jesus, the mother of Mary, and then you had, it's kind of funny, there were like three other Marys that were part of this group of women. But, but here's the thing, it's significant that, that he mentions women at all in this narrative. This is one thing we've mentioned before that's kind of common in Luke's writings. Even throughout the book of Luke, this happened over and over and over again, where he brings attention to these, these particular women in this narrative. He kind of balances the genders that, that are mentioned. And that just didn't happen back then. It's a very, very unique thing. These were women that were there at the cross. They, they were there at the empty tomb. They're, you know, he's highlighting here their consistency, their, their faithfulness. In fact, they were more faithful than, than all the rest of the guys who kind of tended to disappear in these big moments. They were there. He's given this prominent place to, to women. Again, one theologian said this, given the culture's, uh, culture's usual downplaying of women's public roles, the equal participation of women is noteworthy, especially their apparent mixing with the men. The early disciples were carrying on what Christ demonstrated about breaking cultural barriers. So the women, the women were there. 
They were waiting for the Holy Spirit along with, with the men. He mentioned uh, the brothers of Jesus. Did you know Jesus had several brothers? You might be thinking about James, right? That's the one we know the most about. And, and we're going to find out eventually he kind of takes a prominent role in the leadership of, of the church, one of his brothers named James, right? So you had James, then you had Judas. Not that Judas, right? That would be even worse if his own brother is the one that sold him out. Some of you are like, I could see that. But it wasn't, it wasn't the same Judas, Judas. Then you had Simon. And here's something I learned in the last couple of weeks. He had a brother named Joseph. So you had Joseph and Jesus. Uh, Joseph is another name for, for Joseph, right? So it was probably a confusing thing. His parents were like, you know what? Let's just call you Joseph. We didn't really think this thing through, right? Because Joseph and Jesus, too close. Like imagine being Joseph in this family, and people come over and they're like, oh, you're this Jesus we've heard so much about. They're like, no, I'm, I'm just Joseph, you know? It's like, everyone's always disappointed to see you. I don't know. Now I know how my sisters felt growing up, but that's, 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 that's interesting, right? These are some interesting facts. But, but as, we, as we look at the verses here, they say something about the church, the early church, what they were and what we should be. So here, here's kind of the first thing I want us to see today based on how much we've read so far. First, they were, they were unified. Unified, like they were united in prayer, it says in verse 14. So they're, they're in it together. They're, they're devout. They're, they're, these, these people have just been with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and they are unified in their direction in life. Like, like they are all about living this out, right? They're, they're, they're doing what Jesus said. They're, they're obeying. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. This, this community of believers, this is according to the Greek word used for, for unified, right? United. It literally means of one mind. Like they have a singular focus when it comes to what their life is going to be about and what they're, they're praying for. Um, 10 of the 11 New Testament occurrences of this, this term unified happen in the book of Acts. It's, it's a group acting as one. They're completely on the same page, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, so they're unified, but they also met consistently. They met consistently. So, so they're, they're patiently waiting on God's timing of the sending of the Holy Spirit, and the disciples are kind of readying themselves as a group, but, but they, were, they were unified, united together, just hanging out all the time together. Like they, they, they probably came and went from this room as they needed to or whatever, but it was a constant thing. They were constantly, consistently meeting on purpose. This, this is what it looks like to be in a, a gospel community, a community of believers doing life together. They met consistently and they prayed constantly. They prayed constantly. The verbiage used here is saying, that the prayer is, is ongoing, right? It's continual, consistent, constant. And again, Acts is, is packed with this particular use of, of this term describing this prayer. It's mentioned 31 times in Acts, and it, it appears in 20 of the chapters. So, so this is, an, again, a hallmark of this group of people. Met consistently, prayed constantly. They're being obedient, waiting for the Spirit. This is the very first version of what it, a Christ-following church is supposed to be doing, like the characteristics of it. So then Peter stands up and addresses them, right? Peter, 
he, he's the one that kind of takes this leadership role. And this is something that goes back to something we read about in Luke's again. In, in chapter 22, we see that Jesus kind of, kind of foretold this would happen, that, that Peter would be the leader of this group. He said uh, in, in verse 31 of chapter 22, addressing Simon, Peter, he said, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. He, he's talking about, listen, you, you're gonna fall away. You're all gonna have your doubts, right? But, but when you repent, when you come back to me, like Peter, you're gonna be the one to lead them out of this. You're gonna strengthen your, your brothers. And Peter, as we know throughout Jesus' ministry, he's always the outspoken one, right? Like he's the one always putting his foot in his mouth and, and has trouble sometimes controlling his tongue, but, but he's kind of the natural one in this time to stand up and give, give some direction. That's what he does in verse 16. He says, he says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and he shared in the ministry with us. So a couple of interesting points here. This is the, the first time that this term brothers is used to kind of refer to fellow Jesus followers. This is most likely where it came from, right? Brothers in the Lord, brothers and sisters. He uses it here for the first time. And he starts talking then about a, a prophecy in the, in the Old Testament. So again, this is, this is pretty cool. We, we could breeze right by this, but, but think for a second about who Peter is. Like what was, what was Peter's life before Jesus came into it? He was a fisherman, right? Just a, a common man. He wasn't some kind of biblical scholar or something. He was no kind of religious leader. He's just a normal guy that fists for a living. And here he is in his present moment connecting Old Testament kind of obscure prophecies to what was happening to him. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like he's saying long ago, this was predicted by, by the, the spirit of God. And then he's about to quote from a couple different Psalms of David. And so so he, he's, he's trying to, to get the people in the room to, to realize, like, listen, everything that's happened to us, like especially with, with Judas betraying Jesus, but then Jesus being put to death, all this stuff, like it, it's, it's terrible, right? But it's all part of God's plan. Like he, he, he has the, the maturity, I guess, and just the awareness of scripture enough to know that this, this was written about long ago. This is all part of God's plan. God isn't surprised about any of it. And this, this act of Judas betraying everyone, betraying Jesus, it's, it's a big, big deal, especially in this time. It would have been a huge embarrassment to everyone else. Uh, treachery or betrayal of any kind in those days was considered one of the most heinous offenses, right? It was a breach of trust, even to the point where it was worthy of death. A big deal, it even brought hatred against the family of the traitor, and in particular, to, to injure or kill someone that you had eaten with, right? Shared a meal, a meal with at a table. That was especially bad. People would then expect God to get involved. Like, you're gonna get divine wrath from God. So, so Peter again saying here, look, this was all terrible, Judas and Jesus dying, whatever, but it's all part of God's plan of redemption. It was written long ago, which is why, 
he probably wanted to replace Judas in the first place. Like, if you thought about that, like, why did there have to be 12? Why couldn't they have just said, well, we're man down, so everybody pick up his workload or whatever. Like, there's only 11 of us now. He, he wanted to keep the number 12. Why? Well, Jesus made a promise that's written about in, in 19. It's a prophecy. He said, when the, the Son of Man comes into glory, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. Again, this is pointing back to an Old Testament prophecy. So now these 12 would be the leaders of the new Israel. So, so what do we know? Peter, the fisherman, knew scripture. Like he knew God's word. Then Luke gives us a little aside, right? In case, in case you missed it. Was that what the kids say? I-C-Y-M-I? I had looked that up, but it's in, in case you missed it, in case you, you missed, like, here's the season one recap for you, right? If, if you missed what happened to Judas, Luke kind of fills us in, in in verse 18. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. The news of his death spread to, to the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the, the Aramic name, Akeldama, which means field of blood. So, so Luke tells us how Judas died. Now, a quick little aside, uh, Luke's telling of, of this, how Judas died in, in Matthew's, for example, are, are a little bit different. Matthew talks about Judas hanging himself. Luke's talks about him hitting the rocks and all of his guts spilling out. Uh, I studied a lot about this. There, there are a lot of different ways to reconcile those two. They're, they're not as in conflict as they look like. Um, but given like the sensitive subject matter and it's just gross, right? So we don't really have the time, so we're gonna move on from that. But you can look it up if you want. Um, they, they are in, you know, a cohesive, they're cohesive. So uh, verse 20, moving on. Peter continued. This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So we must now choose a replacement for Judas from the from among the men who were here with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whichever is chosen, whoever is chosen, will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So, again, this is the, the prophetic words that he's pointing to, the Psalms of David. He talks about uh, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. So in chapter 69, you know, he, he quoted it here, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. Uh, he, the home here he's talking about, it's a prophetic look towards Judas' office of apostle that he would abandon it, right? And there, there's, no one, there's no one there. It, it's, it's desolate, it's vacant. And in Psalm 109, verse seven, it says, when his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins, let his years be few. Let someone else take his, his position. So again, another prophetic word concerning Jesus that, that Peter here is connecting. So, so in both passages, David is praying that this wicked man would be removed from his position and that someone else would replace him. So that's what they're getting ready to do. Who is gonna replace Jesus? But, but did you notice they didn't just decide on their own? They were unified, right? They're meeting consistently. They're praying constantly. Here's the next thing we need to see today. They decided together through Scripture. They're making this decision together. I mean, 
could Peter have stood up and said, I know what's best, I'm the leader now, so here's who's gonna be. He probably had a good idea of who he wanted it to be, right? He, He didn't do that. They decided to gather through scripture, right? He said, it is written. The Bible tells me so. We're gonna do what scripture asks us to do. And then he lists the qualifications for, for Judas' replacement among the, these 12 uh, apostles. The, the one requirement was what? That they be a witness. A witness. It, it couldn't just be someone that had just come along or someone that they had convinced that these stories were true. They were looking for someone that had literally been with Jesus from the very beginning, saw his ministry, saw his death, saw him buried, and then saw him alive, and then saw him ascended into heaven. A witness to to the entire thing. He wanted eyewitness from start to finish. Why do you think that is? Because it's likely that Peter knew what was coming for them. Think it through. These are the guys that that are headed toward a life of persecution, of constant hardships and imprisonment and beatings and and torture. So so Peter's saying that this has to be someone that can say, you know what? This is not just a story that I I heard. This This is what we've been talking about a lot, like the actual evidence for the resurrection. Like, this is it. These had to be guys that that had to say, you know, I was there and I'm not going to say that I wasn't and I'm not going to say that I didn't see what I saw and that would be willing to, to, to stand on that ground firmly, even if it meant extreme pain and discomfort, even, even death. They had to be able to stand strong in their faith. So, so they, they could only, you know, pick from, from the most qualified candidates, which would be, man, you have to be, you had to have seen it with your own eyes because this new replacement would be an apostle. Clayton talked about this last week quite a bit, that, that Jesus gave these 12 apostolic authority, okay? He, he, he gave them authority not only to, to be his witnesses and to tell people about what they had seen, but he empowered them by the Spirit. You remember this from, from, from Luke, maybe, when Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he'll, he'll remind you, right? Help you recall all that they had seen and heard and also gave them authority to, to author actual Scripture. This is what it meant to, to be in the office of apostle. And, and like he said last week, like Clayton said, that's over. That's done. There, there are no more apostles in that sense of that, of that word, that the canon is closed. So, so what does that tell us? You know, the, the, the apostolic gifting, the gift, the spiritual gift of apostle and the office of apostle are two different things. That, that means now we, we don't get to add or, or take away from scripture. Like things that we think or some, some other pastor says or some prophetic person says, none of that can ever trump scripture. Scripture is first. It is authoritative. Your experience or your word is not the Bible. We we don't get to contribute authoritatively, again, to the knowledge of God, the written word of Scripture. And neither does anyone else, neither does any religious leader or pastor or pope. In fact, I think Clayton mentioned this last week, you'll notice that, that Peter's role 
throughout the, the, the book of Acts, he kind of starts taking more and more and more of a backseat. He, he was not the first pope, as, as many believe. Verse 23, let's keep moving. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Dude had three names. And Matthias. Then they all prayed, oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11, probably because he only has one name. That's probably why he got it. Simpler. No, they, they, they casted lots to decide. This is something you, you hear occasionally throughout Scripture, like they, they would cast lots. Like, what, is, what does that, that mean? See, this was a major part of their culture in these days. They would use this to decide things, like, like decide maybe workers for a special project or something, like who would get to do what. Uh, Jews believed that casting lots would give them divine direction, right? So this is kind of in keeping with, with their philosophies of the time. Uh, casting lots probably looked like a, a, a couple of stones where they would be written on or maybe some broken pieces of pottery. You would put them in a jar or, or, or some kind of pot until you shake them around until one came out. And that was, that was the choice, right? Now, this doesn't mean this is how we're supposed to make decisions today, okay? Uh, that's not what we're trying to get from this. Um, in fact, this is the last recorded time in Scripture that this type of decision-making happened. Why do you think that is? Who was on his way? I mean, the Holy Spirit was coming, right? And eventually, they, they, they and we would all have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that Scripture again promises would be our guide, would lead us into all truth, would, would speak to us, help us make decisions. But this is how things were done to that point, right? But, but they still were using it as a method to hear from God. They were depending on, on the Lord to guide this decision, to, to choose who they wanted to, to uh, who he wanted to be in that in that place? Again, you see that they're committed to God's plan here. They're not doing it in their own power. They're, they're going God's way. They prayed. They decided together using Scripture, the, the prophecies, right? But also they decided together through prayer. Prayer. They they prayed over it. <laughs> they didn't just cast the lots. They they prayed over the decision. They said, "Oh Lord, you know every heart, so show us." Who is your pick? So they, they, he addresses this prayer to, to the Lord, right? Lord is, is the term used. He could be praying to God the Father, but most theologians think because of the term he uses here for Lord, he's asking Jesus himself, like, Jesus, who, who is your pick to replace one of your 12? Again, Peter might have had some ideas on his own, but he's like, I want your wisdom, Jesus. Like, you know best. Tell me what to do. Is that how you make your decisions? Are you, are you, are you crying out, Lord? Like, you know every heart. Like, show me which way to go. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. I want what you think is best. These verses are not just about how they filled their time in these few weeks before the Holy Spirit came. They're not just about how they chose to, to, to choose, they chose a replacement for Judas as an apostle. This is kind of a blueprint for what the early church looked like and for what our church, us 
today as a community of believers what we should look like as well. So let's kind of recap it all together. They were unified. They were unified together. No division. They they had a common purpose. They're going the same direction. They, They met consistently. They met consistently. Listen, just let me speak to you for a second. You need this. You need this. You need to be with with other believers. That's one of the the enemy's most effective weapons against us is if he could just get us isolated and just get us off, off on our own, doing our own thing, separated from other believers because that's when, and you know this is true, we've all been there. You can start to, to doubt God's promises, believing the lies, like our own thoughts turning inward, right? We become our own guide and authority. We get lonely. We get bitter. And listen, that is not how God designed us. It is not his will for us to be in isolation. We were designed for community. They, they were unified. They, they met together consistently and they prayed constantly. That was the the key to what they were there to to do, right? What what does your prayer life look like? What does it look like personally and privately, but also what does it look like corporately? When and where and how are you meeting with other believers consistently to be in prayer? And then they decided together through scripture and prayer. They looked at God's word together together for direction. They, they prayed for God's wisdom together. Show us. This is the perfect picture of what a community of believers should look like. So, so here's our big idea today. Jesus followers do life together through prayer and scripture. Together. Doing life together. What does doing life mean? It means they're part of your life like a daily thing, not a twice a month thing. This, this is our model for church and what it means to follow Jesus together, prayer and scripture. It's how we, we live our lives. Like This is not just a suggestion of something that we should do. This is what we should be. Is it who you are? You know, it, it, Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see over and over again, it's never just what one person thinks they should do. It's always what seems best to us and the Holy Spirit. Like, it's a community thing, and it's a spirit-led God thing. Because guess what? Doing things our way, only considering us for decisions we make and, and the way we live our lives, that's called idolatry. It's sinful to do what we think is right in our own eyes. And guess who, who did that? That's what Judas did. Judas acted in complete selfishness. He only considered what he wanted, what he thought was best for him. And guess what? He suffered for it. He he missed Jesus. Think about that. He, He spent... All of that time with Jesus, all day, every day, seeing the the ministry and the miracles. He he was right there, like he was was set up to, to witness 
the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history as Jesus was raised from the dead. He could have been one of those 12 apostles. He could have gone down in history as one of those who was martyred for their faith, like could have led multitudes of people to Jesus, like a, like a pillar of the early, early church. But instead, he, he's a stain on the pages of history. He missed Jesus. Now, we make godly decisions based on God's word and what God says to us, us. And when what we think doesn't agree with God's word, guess which one wins? They were unified. They met consistently. They prayed constantly. They made decisions together through prayer and scripture. And guess what? This, there's just no arguing, arguing in this next statement. That can't happen here on Sunday mornings. It can't. It's an impossibility. Sunday mornings are, are awesome. We should meet consistently. <laughs> Scripture tells us to. We need to be meeting together as, as an entire church family. That's what they did in, in the book of Acts. We'll see, like, they, they would go to the temple to, to worship, but they met consistently daily from house to house, sharing meals together, praying together. It, it, it's great to be here to, to worship together. Like, we need this, but it's not enough. So let's get practical. How do we apply this? Like, what... What, what, do we need, what do we need to do? I have some challenges for you. So just, just again, be willing to ask God, like, which one of these are for me? Where, where am I missing what you have for me? You're best in my life. The first one's simple. Just come to church. Come to church. Be consistent. In fact, if, if you've become a, a covenant member, like you've been through our membership lunch and you've signed that, that membership covenant in the last few months, like we've added a, a requirement <laughs> Actually, something you have to check off on and sign at the bottom. There's a lot of things on there, but one of them is, is this, that, that you would do your best to make more than you miss. Like, you know what? This is my church home, my church family. I'm gonna be there as much as, as, I, as I possibly can. Because listen, again, we need each other. Church online, it's a great tool if you can't be here, but it's not enough. It's not enough for you. It's not enough for your kids. You know what? Your, your kids shouldn't have to ask, are we going to church today? <laughs> they should ask, why aren't we going today, right? Come to church. The next one's a prayer gathering. Like, come to the prayer gathering. We have a, a corporate prayer gathering on Wednesday nights right up here in, in the youth room. If you're not signed up for another midweek thing, if your group's not meeting, come, come to the, the prayer gathering and, and, and pray. Like, that's one way you can come together consistently with other believers and pray corporately together. We pray for our church. We pray for the ministries of our church, other ministries we support around the city and around the world. We pray for each other. Like, wh where does your prayer life stand when it comes to, to praying with other people? John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Another thing you can add to your life is our daily devos. There's a, there's a Bible study tab on our app and there's, Monday through Friday devotionals that are not just some random things that we've kind of chosen to put in there, but they're directly related to the things we're talking about right now. If you go 
even right now, you can look at Mondays. It's already there, Monday morning. You can wake up and you can look at um, so some application questions about being unified as a church. Like Monday through Friday, you, you can study God's word and you, there's prayer topics there. You can, you can pray, like up your kind of prayer game privately, personally. And this is the cool thing. You can do that every morning and then guess what? That week, you can meet with your city group. Going through the, the same content again. How can I pl- apply this to my life? That's what it looks like to, to read and study God's word together as a community and live it out to do life with other believers. This is another thing we put in our covenant membership. You know this. Members are required to get in a group. Why do we do that? Just so we have a lot of people in groups? No, because you need it. It's vital for for your walk with Jesus. I don't care if you agree with me or not. You're just wrong. It's true. You don't, I, listen, you don't think you need it until you have it. And you're like, how did I ever do without it? It's a fact. It's not just something to add to your life, but something that should be a foundational part of it. My, my group has a, a group text feed where, yeah, we, we share stupid memes and gifts and stuff, but we also pray for each other. We, we, we send each other, hey, man, this is happening, or I'm having this procedure, or uh, I'm struggling with this or whatever, and we, we get to pray with each other. These last couple of years, man, my, I shared some of my story a couple of weeks ago, but the last couple of years have been, been rough and, and I don't know how we would have gotten through it without a, a core community of believers that, that were in our lives on a consistent basis, people that were there for us and like had our backs. Like, like ha- having a, a group of people where you're fully known, like they know the, the good, the bad and the ugly and they still love you and they're there for you. You can't find that here. Clayton said the same thing with this season of life he's in. He's like, yeah, they've gotten a lot of support from the church and community or whatever, but it's their group, their group that, that's there for them. You know, when the worst happens to you, and if, if you find yourself in that place and you come to us like for help, for assistance in any way, for prayer, for counseling, one of the first things we're gonna ask you is, are you in a group? Why do we do that? Because that's where ministry happens. Those are the people in your life that, that are there for you and actually doing the work of the ministry. All that to say, get in a dang group. What are you waiting for? I'm about to hurt some of your feelings, but it has to be done. There are a lot of you, like a lot of you that You've heard us talk about this over the years or months or whatever. You've gotten excited about it. You've gotten your, your connection card and you've checked on there. You wanted more information about groups. And then I contact you that week and I get you connected with a group leader. And that's the end of it. But it, I don't know. It, I know it's a big hurdle, right? To actually show, actually show up. But, but this is what happens probably more than 75% of the time. So I'm pleading with you, like, yeah, sign up, but, but follow through, show up. If you're like, man, I don't want to walk into a group of strangers, like, let me help you start one with your, your friends that you already have, your family. 
They don't even have to go to our church. It's easy. I can help you do it. But it's in those contexts of our small groups, our city groups, that's, a, that's what looks most like the church in Acts. And that's the biggest thing most of us are missing in, in our lives. You know, one of the best ways that we can come together as a faith community is by remembering as a group what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're gonna have a chance to do that in just a minute by, by taking the Lord's Supper. And scripture warns us, it tells us like, don't do this lightly, right? Do it sober-mindedly, like, like know what you're doing, like evaluate your heart. Get, get right with the Lord. Remember what he did, that, that we were eternally separated from God by our sin, had no way to be made right with him, no way to, to bridge that gap. And Jesus came, lived that perfect life that we can't live, right? Because we are imperfect people. He lived a perfect life and then he took our sin upon himself and died in our place to pay our, our fine. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose three days later forever conquering sin and death. And now we have an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of our lives, not by trusting in ourselves, but trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, that's step one. Do it today. Do it today, right now in your heart. Acknowledge those things and make Jesus Lord. It's not about reciting a magic prayer. It's, it's about a heart condition. God, I know I'm imperfect. I know I need you. I know Jesus died for my sins. I put my faith in Jesus and I'm going your way, God. I'm committing my life to you. If you do that, we want you to check the, the box on the connection card that says you're giving your life to Jesus. Take it to the Welcome Center. We wanna pray with you. We wanna get you in a group. We wanna help you grow in your relationship. And then for the rest of us, you know, this is your, your first chance to, as a faith community, maybe you're here kind of near some of your group members. Maybe you're here with your family, your, your spouse or whatever. If that's the case, use this time to, to start putting this in, in, into place. You know, go, go get your elements together. You can bring them back to your seat and just have a moment with each other, like just praying, thanking God for, for what he's done in your life. Maybe you're facing some kind of decision like the apostles were that we just read about. It just, just use that time, God, we wanna go your way. Like, lead us. Make this moment about him doing things his way. And we're gonna just, a few instructions as the music plays, I'm gonna ask you, you, you get up and go get the elements. There's some in the back of each corner. If we kind of do it in a little bit of a organized fashion, that would help, there's a lot of us. And so we're gonna go a row at a time, starting at the front. And if like this row would get up and go down that aisle, get the elements and then kind of peel back to your, your section. Same thing here, starting with the front, going up the middle and then back around. That'll make it easier for everybody. <laughs> but then again, when you, when you get the elements, you're, you're gonna hear this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. Make it a personal moment with him and then commit today. Like, 
God, I'm not just going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to hear of the word. I'm going I'm to be a doer. I'm going to put into practice what scripture says we should be all about. So after I pray, you guys can move. God, we pray that this would stick to us, that we wouldn't leave the same, that we would be bold enough to take some kind of step in, in a direction that we already know what you're asking us to do. God, we can sense it in our spirit. God, we feel conviction. God, give us the the courage to just follow through. Because we know it's just not something to do, but it's your best. It's what we need. And so God, we, we, we look to you and we say, we wanna be a people that is unified, going the same direction, meeting and praying consistently and just doing life together through prayer, through God's word. Father, make us a people that mirror what we're reading about today. We want to be the church you intended us to be.